podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the dogfight, Rams fans. If you didn't already think we were in a full-blown relegation scrap, then I am sure you do now. My name is Richard Kutcher and welcome to Steve Bloomer's Washing, your independent Derby County fans podcast. Joining me to dissect the latest last gasp for loss and all other goings on in another turbulent fortnight at Pride Park is Lord Tom Martin of Pessimist Shire. How are you, my liege? <laughs> Very well, Sire. Very well. Let's see, let's see whether I am actually so pessimistic, and I think the answer will be quite obvious very soon. And ever the optimist, I hope, Sir Anton of Martin. All well, Governor? Uh, yeah, I'm all right, Cut. I'm not, not too sure about that opening, but um, yeah, all good. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to put some, some, some jovial smiles on your faces uh, in this time, <laughs> and uh, hopefully our listeners' faces as well. Well, I know... Plenty of Rams fans, including us three for sure, have been drowning their sorrows this weekend. And as ever, Steve Bloomers Washington is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. So do give those chaps a like or follow on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. So Derby, I think fair to say, deservedly went down 1-0 to Rotherham on Saturday, ensuring we dropped back into the relegation zone on goal difference. I thought we I thought we had defended set pieces uh, relatively well, chaps, throughout that match, but we weren't convincing in the 86th minute when Jamie Lindsay was able to finish from close range. Anton, how bad do we rank that showing in a season full of bad performances? And I thought it didn't. I thought it didn't quite have the calamity aside that Borough away or, or Blackburn at home did, but there was definitely a severe lack of quality and desire, particularly in that first half and, and the closing stages, Anton. Where, where does it rank for you? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head, really. It's, it's definitely up there. It's probably not quite as bad as as those Middlesbrough and Blackburn performances as, a, as an all-round performance, um, although our attacking play certainly was was pretty horrendous and it was a pretty horrible watch in, in general as a football game. Defensively, we weren't too bad, Um especially from crosses and set pieces, which which is where Rotherham posed most of their threat. Um, we actually defended those fairly well for the majority of the game up until the 86th minute, as you mentioned. And, and the real undoing yesterday was was the sheer number of, of free kicks and, and crosses we we did concede. Um, it was mainly the, the attacking play that was, that was a cause for concern. Um, I think we just got kind of tactically um, outfought by Rotherham in the end and we didn't look like scoring at all and um, Rotherham fully deserved the 1-0 victory. Yeah, I think tactically, I think you're right, Anton, about tactically. I mean, going back to the set pieces, it was bizarre, the amount, both first half and second half, the sheer number of particularly free kicks we gave away kind of just to the side of the penalty box towards the byline was horrendous and some really, really stupid ones and it wasn't just one culprit, there was numerous culprits for it. I thought Jason Knight and Graham Shinney struggled all match to kind of get get close and, and and cover the kind of ground that they have done previously. And, and I thought Rotherham certainly did do a good job on Christian Bielek, either stopping passing channels into him or pressing him extremely quickly when he did get the ball. And as I said, I thought Knight and Shinney were pretty both pretty anonymous, particularly in that first half. Tom, uh, from what you saw, where, where do you think it, it seemed to have gone wrong yesterday? It was a very tepid performance, wasn't it? Like, we looked about 10% off our, our usual sort of, like, press. Um, we were a lot slower in the passing and, and the moving um, of the ball going forward. I think we uh, we had a couple of all right chances going down the right-hand side. I thought Burn looked relatively lively going forward, but it was a, a relatively lively, not not particularly exhilarating. And, um, yeah, we were really disappointing yesterday. And, and rather than a team that should we should be beating, if we're, we're in a wanting to stay up and something that really bothers me is that Rooney keeps saying that we 
we're not going to be in this at the end of the season. I'm telling you now that we are right bang in this at the moment and we are desperately in need of points um, and we are in desperate problems at the moment like on and off the field. So um, it needs to be an improvement on Tuesday against Bournemouth without a doubt. Otherwise, we are going to, we are going to lose again on, on Tuesday night. I think some credit does have to go to Rotherham, um, to be fair, because I, I thought the midfield battle, which really was the key one yesterday, as you alluded to, Kutch, they, they dominated, really. They, they clearly did their homework and identified that Knight and Bielik were are the key driving forces in, in all of our play going forward. And they stuck very close to them all game and, and they worked re- incredibly hard as well because we all know how how much ground Bielik and in particular Knight cover, but every time they got the ball or even got close to the ball, there was a man right on them and they, they weren't allowed to start those driving runs which have been so effective in the last few games. So the midfield battle was definitely lost. Um, I, I also thought our, our front three had, had quite poor games, to be honest. Um, CKR was was marshalled very well, in fairness, by by their two centre-backs. But Waghorn and, and Yuzviak, um, I, I thought, had poor games. They they weren't getting close enough to, to CKR. So, so the odd time that CKR was able to bring it down, there wasn't anyone... Um, there to, to lay it off to in support but they also didn't provide the the outlet um, out wide as well G- given the fact that Rotherham were, were dominating in the middle we had to try and um, kind of make the pitch bigger and use those wide outlets um, as much as possible because the, the only times we did look like creating anything as Tom mentioned was down the right hand side through burn and and the odd time when when Buchanan got up so we had to try and spread the pitch a little bit and and utilize those wide options which Yuzviak and and Waghorn needed to be at at the heart of creating those runs and 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 kind of drawing the the Rotherham players out before bringing in Bird and Buchanan um, sorry, Burn and Buchanan, but they didn't really do that enough. They weren't making the right runs, um, and and they 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 really let down that that attacking play. I think I've got to, you've got to give credit, as you say, Anton, to uh, Paul Warren. I thought he set the Rotherham side up fantastically, and the the two players that I was really impressed with were the two wing backs. I think, forgive me if this is wrong, Ola Sunday and Harding, uh, right and left wing back. I thought they um, they pushed forward into the midfield to create a five when we initially got the ball, but then dropped back to make it a back five so we couldn't break them down. And what it what it did was force Yuzviak and Waghorn to sort of cut inside and into the sort of central area where you had the three centre-halves brilliantly marshalled for me by by Richard Wood in the middle, um, just sort of like shutting down any option. So as a result, Kazim Richard had no space whatsoever to operate. He wasn't able to get the ball to feet at any point to bring the players in. And so as a result, Derby looked very toothless. And I, I thought the the way that Rotherham set up was, was perfect. Uh, they stifled our play. Um, they let us have possession in ineffective areas. I think we had something like 64 or 65% possession and we weren't able to create any chances with it. So yeah, as you say, Anton, full credit to, to Rotherham. And it's a far far cry from the Rotherham that we were looking at in December, where we were really hopeful to go go to Rotherham on um, in December and, and hopefully get the three points that we probably would have got at that time because Rotherham were playing so poorly. So they've really turned things around in a very short space of time. Yeah, I think I think you're, you're both spot on, particularly regarding the system. And and what I found, yeah, not not necessarily disappointing or surprising, was but Wayne Rooney has been quite quick in matches. Well, he doesn't always use his substitutes particularly quickly. I think part of that's down to the fact he hasn't got many options. But he has been quite quick to try and respond to uh, if a system is working well against Derby to try and adjust to try and beat that. And he has had some success in in other games. But he he he, only, he moved to a four four two. I think quite late in the second half and it didn't really have the desired effect at all i thought he maybe could have changed it up at half time it was obvious that whatever they were doing was stopping us from playing and as you mentioned tom you know if we had 65 percent possession it's a bit strange for me to say that i thought our best two players were matt clark and andre wisdom um because simply because they did they did it generally did do a good job until that 86th minute of defending the amount of set pieces we gave away. Clark had a, had a few poor passes in the first half, but he wasn't the only one. And I just, you know, again, I echo Anton. Juzvec's possibly his worst game in a Derby shirt and Martin Waggon completely ineffective. Um, Derby did create chances, though, in that first half. We did create two or three decent openings in that first half. Buchanan had a very good shot, which was well saved down at his near post. A keeper's near post. Shilly and Juzvec both could have done better from, from chances inside the box, but didn't. But that, that was about it. Anton... How much of the performance do you think can be put down to various bits of uncertainty around the, around the around the team? Obviously, 
uh, unpaid wages is one issue. Um, and of course, uh, the COVID outbreak, I think, is probably a bigger issue. The fact that they only really returned to training, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, that was a, there was a phased reopening of the training ground, which suggests maybe maximum two days of, of training as a team in preparation for this match. Do you think the wages or, or, the, or the COVID outbreak was a particularly big factor in that performance that we can put it down to? I, I think both of those things will have had some impacts. A, a lot was spoken of the, the wages issue yesterday, um, but, but I actually thought that the players didn't seem like they weren't up for it necessarily. There, there was still plenty of running off the ball and, and tracking back. I remember the one that stands out in particular was that the shinny tracking back when he was just sprinted kind of the whole half to, to yeah. keep up with their left winger. So I think the motivation was there. I, I think the the main issue yesterday outside of the, the tactical uh, issues that Rotherham, Rotherham brought on was, was just the lack of quality on the ball. There were so many misplaced passes that went straight out for a throw in, so many poor first touches, which probably kind of a couple of factors in that that the training um, issue and, and COVID outbreak will have been the main factor you could potentially pin some of that on on mental preparation and motivation due to the uncertainty around wages but I think for me the the, the COVID outbreak and, and lack of training lack of match sharpness having not played for a couple of weeks is, is probably the main factor will we will see uh, on Tuesday and Saturday next week to see if we can recover and, and bounce back and, and hopefully the quality is much better having got a, a few days on the training ground and 90 minutes under the belt and hopefully we'll, we'll see the derby of, of old. I think you could also add into that not only is the COVID and the wages issue um, maybe playing on players' minds, I think you can also add in the quality of the Pride Park pitch. And this isn't Derby's fault. It seems to be right the way up and down the country. Like every single club has an issue with the quality of their their playing surface. It's it's difficult to get the ball down and to actually play some quick, zippy football. Um, and that's what we kind of tried to do, like passing the ball around. But there were times when you, you saw the, the ball being passed from one side of the pitch to the next or into the, into the middle. And the ball just bobbles and bounces all over the place. And it just makes you take an extra touch. And because you take that extra touch, you just slow everything down. And the one that really stuck out for me was, uh, I think, um, Juzviak had it in the middle and he could have maybe played the simple pass to, to Burn, but he went for the ambitious one to Waghorn. It, it came off. Burn made the little run on the inside. But when Waghorn needed to release him slightly earlier, and although the ball did get to Burn and we put a cross into the box, you could see that Waghorn like, stood still and was like, oh my God, what's going to happen with this ball? It's a complete minefield. Um, and that was after maybe 15 or 20 minutes. So I think the pitch is also having an issue with the, the style of play that we're trying to play. Um, but I do think as well that the issues with COVID and the, the issues around the, the takeover and wages, I mean, nobody wants to go to work and not get paid for it, regardless of how much you earn. It does have an impact in some way. And even if it doesn't affect everybody, it will affect some of those players in there because they're, they're essentially playing for free because you haven't been paid. So so yeah, there's a lot of things I think going on off the pitch which are affecting us, but there's still no excuse. We still need to be putting in better better quality performances than what we did yesterday. Yeah, the, the point you make about the pitch is a really good one, Tom. So I, I think what, there's no doubt that that will have helped Rotherham yesterday because the style of their play is is much more suited to to that kind of more direct um, play and, and that they have less reliance on on a good pitch. So that's definitely a good point to make. What's quite concerning is is our general home form really um this season I, I, I think yeah. the, the pitch probably does play a little bit of a part in that the fans obviously play a big part in that but at the same time every every club is in the same boat this season every, every club is playing a, a large number of games no one has fans in the ground so it's, it's something that we do have to look at there are a whole number of factors to do with that but seven points in 12 at home this season is, is not good enough and and that needs to improve if we're going to get out of this relegation dogfight. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe one of the saving graces about the fact that our form against the teams around us has been so poor, as I'm pretty sure almost all of those games have been at home when our away form is much better. So we still have a lot of those teams to play away where maybe we, should, we could be expecting to pick up more points. It will be vital to pick up points against the teams around us if we are going to stay up. Just just lastly, on the wages point, I just want to make one short point about that. There seems to be some confusion when when people question whether the wages and unpaid wages had an impact. Ed Dawes even said on uh, BBC Radio Derby on Saturday that it was slanderous to suggest uh, the way unpaid wages would have an impact on the players. I think that's uh, not correct, in my opinion. When I say that wages might have an impact on players' uh, performance, it's not because I think they go out there uh, 
deliberately not putting the effort in uh, and deliberately not running kind of the same amount that they would run normally uh, for Derby County. It's because with anyone, uncertainty uh, out in, outside of your work life or connected to your work life will have an impact on your performance, whether you're a sports person or working in any other area. So I think it's perfectly valid to question whether unpaid wages is impacting uh, players' performance. And Wayne Rooney even mentioned it himself in his press conference on Friday regarding performances in training. So I think it is one that needs to be discussed. Well, as ever, we're always keen to hear our listeners' views. And so we put out a poll on Saturday, a rather uh, upsetting poll that we had to put out on Saturday evening, asking whether you thought the Rams would have enough to stay up. 58% of those who voted said, no, we will not stay up. So quite a bleak feeling amongst Derby fans. And there were a few comments coming in as well. Regular listener Rob put it down to the coaching staff saying, as soon as we chose to give the reins to 50% of the managerial team that got us here in the first place, we were done for. East Anglian Rams said, sadly, it seems a perfect storm of events that lead to the eventual demise and falling through the trap door. The next two weeks is essential. We need players willing to scrap to stay in this division. I think uh, Tom's echoed some of those sentiments in the past. And Leo Hughes, not very likely if we don't solve the magnitude of the pit magnitude of off the pitch issues. Sorry, players aren't going to fight for a survival if they're not getting paid. And lastly, on a, on a more positive note, just uh, a Derby fan, interestingly named, wear a mask and wash your hands, said a touch and go but I think we'll scrape it. So aside from the interesting choice of name by someone's parents, Tom, are you, are you agreeing with, with Rob, East Anglian and Leo that Derby are indeed on the way down? Or are you more of a wear a mask and wash your hands kind of guy? I definitely wear a mask and wash my hands. But, um, <laughs> I think I might have to... I, I am I am really worried. I think it's one of those classic uh, things where we've got lots of really talented players who just aren't seeming to, to perform... Um, together as a cohesive unit and I can see us like slipping as as like a Sunderland did uh the year that they got relegated from the Premier League they then came down with uh, loads of their Premier League players staying in um and so having like good good solid players who should be able to do something in the championship and they just weren't able to put performances in and the time keeps going on and we keep passing by and we're still not scoring goals and creating chances we're still conceding goals late on and we have little shoots of recovery and I, I do think there is it's not doom and gloom. We're not. We're not definitely down. But there, there are lots of really concerning points. And the fact that as we go through this season, the off the field problems seem to be exacerbating this. Yeah, I did vote. I did vote no yesterday. And um, I know that's obviously after the the back of a defeat. And when when you win, you change the sort of views on things. But I, I do, as I said before, I do have an issue with Rooney saying we're not going to be involved in this at the end of the season because I think we are slap bang in the middle of it. And I think it's time to face up to that and it's time to knuckle down and decide on the plan of action of how to get out of it, not just saying we're not going to be there because to me that smacks a little bit of arrogance of we're too good to go down and that's what concerns me. I, I agree with those comments about Rooney, Tom, that you, you can't kind of definitively say we're not going to be in there because there's no doubt that we are in there at the moment. I I am a little bit more optimistic than than you and, and some of our listeners as well. I, I think the odds are still marginally in our favour towards staying up rather than going down. Performances putting yesterday, yesterday aside have certainly improved since Rooney has, has been at the helm and, and over the last five or six games, um, excluding yesterday, we, we've been the better side. And if we continue to perform in that way over the course of the second half of the season, I, I've got no doubt that we will pick up enough points and enough victories to have enough in us. The, the one concern that I have is that we don't have a huge amount of squad depth at the moment. The, the first team that we're putting out at the moment, I think is good enough. And I think um, should have enough about them to stay up as long as we, we're sure that we're in a dogfight and we don't get complacent. But an injury to two or three of of our first team, especially to key players like Bielik or Knight or Matt Clark or, or CKR, an injury to a couple of those two. And we don't have a huge number of options. We, we saw our bench yesterday. It wasn't very strong at all. And um, I do have some concerns that with the, the condensed schedule in the second half of the season, if we don't bring in any strength in depth um, during the rest of January, which at the moment we'll come on to looks unlikely given the, the takeover situation at the moment, um, 
it's it's down to whether we can keep our, our first team fit and, and out of injury. The pessimist in it would say we haven't scored this year um, and we haven't looked like scoring since the 30th minute of the Sheffield Wednesday game. And yes, there are reasons for, for that. But actually the optimist backing that and why I understand what you're saying, Anton, is how good were we for the first 25, 30 minutes against Sheffield Wednesday? And that's the quality performance we know we can put in. And if we play like that, that's when we, we all stay up. But we've done that over... 30 minutes or 35 minutes in a game and we haven't done that for long enough apart from once this season or maybe twice I'd say Birmingham and Swansea and so the capability of playing putting those performances is there it's just the consistency of doing it and unless we start to put together a little run of things and a little run of consistent performances that's where I think we're we're going to struggle so I totally get the the, the optimism um, and I support that and I really hope that's what's going to come but too many times we've seen the negative side of this derby side so far this year. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to end end this this first half of the pod on, to be honest, was that, you know, the last time I was on the pod, which was seems like a long time ago now, was post the Burnham City game. And, you know, it's a very different tone, not just amongst all of us, but amongst our, our listeners and on Twitter as well, uh, because it was such a good performance. But as you say, Tom, we haven't scored since that match. We've lost all three, uh, two to teams in and around us in Rotherham and Sheffield Wednesday, and one uh, to non-league Chorley, and of course, has mitigated circumstances there. But, you know... I know it's a bit of a cop out, but for me, if we can if we can put in more Burnham type performances than Rotherham style ones, then I think we have a good chance of finishing above those immediately around us. And there's uh, COVID aside and unpaid wages aside, I think we are capable of doing that. As Anton said, if we avoid major injuries, I think we'll just have enough. But I wouldn't be putting I wouldn't be backing us uh, in the betting markets. Uh, let's put it that way. Well, in the second half, we will discuss Wayne Rooney's appointment on a two and a half year contract, the continuing uncertainty and lack of information concerning the takeover, potential outgoings and one Richard Keogh and a potential return to the championship. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. It's a very promising position indeed for Derby County. Rico Strupar will fancy his chances from here. It's Strupar. Oh, what a strike! Derby back in this match through Franco Strupar. Fantastic goal. So, optimism seemed to have returned for all of about 24 hours on Friday when Wayne Rooney, England and Manchester United's greatest ever goalscorer, was finally confirmed as Derby County's manager for the next two and a half years. It did appear, of course, to be an open secret that he would be he would be appointed, uh, whoever was calling the shots in the boardroom. But I think it was still important to, to have that confirmed, both for the, the fans and the players. If one of the aims was to prompt a, a reaction from the players, and that, that obviously didn't quite work on Saturday, but I'm sure there will be some benefit for everyone concerned to have it set in stone that he will be in charge for the long term. I, I certainly welcome it, chaps. It, mainly because it seemed to be the natural order of things. So it's just better to have it, you know, 100% confirmed. And and while I'm sure some fresh input uh, in the kind of coaching staff may be needed now, to be honest, um, going on, on Saturday's display, and definitely will be at some point in the future. I'm also quite pleased that Rosinia and Walker have been, have been kept on as part of his backroom staff. I think Rosinia definitely d- deserves a degree of loyalty from the club. Um, important to note too, though, that Shay Given has been promoted to first-team coach, uh, moving away from goalkeeping duties, with the goalkeeping duties going to Jason Piercy, I think, who has been promoted from the academy to the first team uh, goalkeeping coach position. Anton, putting Saturday aside, I guess, how how did you generally receive the news that Wayne Rooney had been confirmed as our new manager? Positively, definitely. Um, putting yesterday aside, there's no doubt that we have improved since Rooney's been in charge. As I mentioned, I'll, I'll hold my hands up and, and say that I, I didn't think it was the, the right direction for the club after Koku got sacked. I, I, I felt that we needed someone with more experience, more, more knowledge of the championship. But without a doubt, in, in the kind of several games that he's been in charge, we've looked much better. We've been creating more chances and we've looked more more unified as a team. So you can't argue with that, really, um, that performances is, have improved. And the certainty of having someone um, permanently in charge is, is definitely um, beneficial. Um, what it also looked like as well um, on on Friday was that hopefully that it meant the takeover was was kind of moving 
on a little bit. It now seems like that that might not be true, which we'll come on to in a minute. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely happy overall for, for Rooney to be in charge. Yeah, t- regarding the relation of it to the uh, takeover, Tom, the, the cynical side of me uh, thinks it's quite a nice, convenient way to kind of uh, shut people up for a few days and give an indication of things moving forward. You know, Rooney, it sounds like, was always going to be confirmed as manager, whether it was this regime or the next one. So why not do it in a period of instability to try and add some some at least perception of stability and, and things moving forward. Uh, what, do, what do you think of that? And and again, same question as to Anton. Are you pleased that it's been confirmed and, and Rooney is our is our leader for the time being? Yeah, I, c- I can see your point, Kutch. But I think that um, if you're going to have a takeover, often they want to bring in their own person. But actually, Rooney is a, a global figure, so therefore would fit in the sense of you want to have somebody who's well known and respected in the game to to lead your team if you're if you're trying taking over a new football team. So. Um, so actually, I think that it maybe suggests, and I'm hoping, I'm being optimistic here, perhaps for once. Maybe it suggests that things are quite close, and therefore it's been an agreement to to give Rooney the the job on a permanent basis for two and a half years. My reservation, and that's what this is what I said before, is okay. I, I see that we had an upturn, and things have been been better. But I, I understand. I think Rooney's been in charge now for nine games. I think he's won three of those and drawn four. So. It's not like we've been tearing the world apart. And I do sort of question two and a half years. Is that the right thing to do? Especially when these things we've talked about before, he hasn't got his coaching badges and um, he was a player up until a month ago and stuff. But I just sort of, I do do just wonder about that as to whether it's the right thing for the long-term uh, future. In the short term, yeah, absolutely had no problem with him being appointed. And I think it confirms the appointment until the end of the season. But I just, just wonder long, longer term as to whether it's an issue. The manager situation is something that we've now sorted out. We can draw a line under that. Hopefully, the takeover, uh, the wages, and stuff like that is the thing that will next uh, will be next to be sorted out. I think what, one point worth noting on on the slightly longer term contract is it does cover us somewhat. If if optimistically Rooney does do well and and we start having an uptick in form, clearly Premier League clubs are going to be sniffing around because this is Wayne Rooney we're talking about. He's a, he's a household name, similar to Frank Lampard the likes of, of Man United if things don't work out with Solskjaer, but also other Premier League clubs will be looking to bring him in. So if you have that extra um, couple of years on, on the contract, it does mean that we'll be um, open to compensation. And I guess from Rooney's perspective as well, he wants a little bit of stability like you would with, with any other job. He, do, he doesn't want to just sign a six-month contract and, and potentially be out of contract at the end of, end of the season. So I think two and a half years is fine um, for, from, from all perspectives. I think uh, just to, just to Tom's point about the coaching, I, I kind of definitely agree, and it is a shame that he hasn't got his coaching badges, and and the FA and the League Managers Association need to make their minds up about whether those badges actually matter or not. To be honest, because this kind of thing happens too often with high profile names that they seem to be able to get jobs without having those badges in place, and if they're important, then they should be kind of enforced. But I think what what has been obvious from quite a bit of briefing and and reporting from the club or on the club has been that Rooney definitely sees himself more as a kind of manager type figure, like a Sir Alex Ferguson. He's not going to get his hands dirty on on the training ground so much. He doesn't appear to be involved that much directly in coaching. He leaves that to Rossini and Walker and given he kind of gives them their instructions of how he wants the team to set up and he concentrates more on managing the overall strategy rather than the coaching. So I'm not saying that's an excuse for not doing your badges, but I guess that may, you know, if you've got more experienced coaches in, in those guys, that may allay some of those fears. But last week also saw further delays and an attempt, and I'll underline attempt, at communication from the club regarding the takeover. Uh, Derby County CEO Stephen Pearce spoke to TalkSport and BBC Radio Derby on Wednesday or Thursday, I think. And while he asserted his belief that the takeover would still go through and it was simply a matter of waiting for funds to arrive, he didn't really fill many fans with confidence. He certainly didn't fill me with much confidence, to be honest. And he suggested he wasn't really involved in the talks themselves and so couldn't shed any more light on the delays or instill much confidence that the takeover would ultimately get completed. I think before we get into this, I think it's important to remind everyone that it was 6th of November. I had to just double check that earlier. It was the 6th of November that the takeover was supposedly agreed and approved by the EFL. And since then, we've only really had statements saying it's expected to be completed within 48 hours. Well, I did. I did, got my calculator out, chaps, and 
that 48 hours is now 3,456 hours <laughs> since uh, 6th of November. So again, not got, got much confidence in every time we say it, we're told it's 48 hours. Um, it doesn't exactly fill you with hope that it will be completed in time for any meaningful dip into the transfer market this month. And going back to, Tom, what you were saying about Wayne Rooney constantly telling us that we're not going to be involved in this come the end of the season, they won't be anywhere near relegation. I did, I did notice that he had kind of changed that stance from a few weeks ago when he definitely did say a few weeks ago, we will not be involved in this at the end of the season. When he said that yesterday, he seemed to caveat it with, because I'm bringing players in and I've already lined them up. Now, if that doesn't materialise, which looks quite possible, then he may have just given himself an excuse there. Um, but, you know, who knows? Even by the end of Monday, the situation could look very different. Um, Tom, I know you don't enjoy talking too much about off-field matters, and I do sympathise with you. What, what's your take on this situation? Should should we be concerned that maybe Bin Zayed is just kind of stringing Mel, the media, and us fans along? Or do you think it's uh, a lot of noise about nothing and, and we'll have our, our grand new leader come this time next week? Yeah, I think hearing Pierce's comments this week, um, he's trying to allay fans' fears and trying to say that things are just ticking along. Um, it's interesting that Pierce is there and we haven't really heard from Morris. It would be nice to hear what Morris is doing um, and saying. But yeah, do we do we just trust what the club are doing or do we question it and not get our hopes up? But I, I, I don't know and I, I really can't answer that question. It will happen soon or it won't happen and we'll just have to get on with it and we'll have to keep supporting our club on the field and and that's all we can do. So, yeah, I'm not particularly confident. As you say, it's been, what, 3,000, however many, and 56 hours uh, since, it's, since it was originally ratified and approved by the uh, EFL uh, back in November and it's still going on. So it's quite likely to still be going on this week and next week and the week after or it could be done, as you say, by the end of the day on Monday. Yeah, and that's the thing, Anton, isn't it? Because unless we're actually in the know ourselves, which I can quite categorically say that we are not, um, then all of this is just purely speculation. Um, obviously, some journalists have, have a bit more access, more off-the-record ac- access, but most of those stories that have come out from what I can tell has been briefed by the club have still always been, it's happened imminently, and it hasn't happened imminently, depending unless they have a very different definition of what imminently is than, than what I think most people do. Does this just bore you, Anton? Does it worry you? Kind of, what's your? Do you track every moment that this goes on? How do you react to this situation? Because I I am thoroughly bored of it, to be honest. And while it's worrying, I'm kind of also not letting myself let it it dominate every second of my brain. Yeah, absolutely. That the point I was going to make was what what you just mentioned. Really, that it is purely speculation at the moment. So I, I try not to read too much into it. I do have a bit of sympathy for Pierce, to be honest, because his his hands are probably tied in terms of what he's allowed to reveal to the the public and the media. Um, so I'm I'm not sure how much we can read into that. We can only base our opinions on on the facts, which are pretty limited at the moment. We we know that the the club is still quite positive about everything, although they haven't revealed too much. Um, the fact that they they're remaining positive and and the the noise, even though it's limited, it, it is positive. It is good. Um, we know that taking over a football club is very complicated. It doesn't doesn't just happen overnight. So it's it's no great surprise that it's rumbled on a little bit. The one slight concern is is the kind of lack of noise from the takeover side, really, because um, it it does have a few similarities to to what happened with Newcastle. I mean, just some reassure, some simple reassurance from that side would be very nice for the fans. What we saw with the Newcastle takeover, the, the failed takeover, I should say, is that there were a lot of positive noises from, from both sides in, in the initial exchanges. And then things went very silent for a couple of months and then it just kind of completely fell off the radar. I mean, the, the blame there was put on Mike Ashley because apparently he was moving the goalposts, which I wouldn't put past Mike Ashley, to be honest. Um, but then again, it, it could have been kind of events on both sides which, which called, caused deals to to fall down. Um, and the, the lack of reassurance from um, Bin Zayed is, is a little bit concerning. Um, but hopefully it's just due to the fact that it's it's a complex takeover. And, and I mean, any club is com- complex to take over. But 
the fact that we've had so many off the field goings on, even in the last couple of months with kind of EFL investigations and appeals, and then the, the multiple loans that we appear to have got from, from MSD, which obviously affects the value, but also brings a third party into it. Hopefully it's just ironing out all of those details. We, I, I don't want to speculate too much because as you say, we, we're not in the know and we don't know too much about it. Um, and, and we've just got to see what happens over the next week or so. There was a, an interesting article in The Athletic, which Kutch, I know you're going to come on to, so I won't say too much on it uh, at this time. But um, in terms of positivity, there's been a potential offer from a, a former shareholder and Morris has politely declined it. So if he's declining that, he's obviously confident of getting the investment uh, that he wants and therefore is confident the takeover is uh, is on its way. So that would be maybe a positive reading into that. But again, as, as Anton said there, there's lots of things to go through um, and it's obviously a big challenge for, for everyone at the club and involved in the takeover at the moment. Yeah, I will come on to that now, actually. But before before I do, I, I don't want people to think that we're downplaying the seriousness of the situation Derby County find themselves in. Because the one thing that most concerns me about this situation is the unpaid wages. Because it, it's, it's pretty obvious that Mel does not want to put a single penny more in than he already has. And that's his prerogative uh, to kind of finance the club going forward. And, and obviously, costs of running the club have gone up considerably during the pandemic. I don't think anyone underestimates that. But the fact that wages are not being paid is quite is very is very concerning because that shows to me that he is desperate to get out. Um, and if the investment isn't forthcoming, and we'll come on to the separate offer in a second, then what? Where does that? Let's say that the deal does collapse. Where does that leave Mel? Then will he continue to bankroll the club until a new buyer is, is found, or do we face the worst, which is administration? So that, that's that's kind of what concerns me. I don't want people to think we're downplaying it because I think it is that serious. If this fell through, then we we do we do not know where where kind of Mel stands on bankrolling the club for another few months or even for another year because it's not easy to find people to buy football clubs. But as as Tom mentioned, Ryan Conway and Matt Slater at the Athletic published a good article on Friday on the latest status of the takeover. Definitely recommend that read if you are a subscriber. And towards the end of that piece, there was an intriguing paragraph suggesting that, quote, at least one former shareholder, end quote, had offered Mel Morris financial assistance to stave off administration and even suggested they could rally other investors who could even buy the club. Now, avoiding a, a prolonged and uninformed, another uninformed game of, of guess who, obviously a couple of names spring to mind. Peter Gadsby, long connected to the club and, of course, saved Derby from the brink uh, with a leading local consortium to take control uh, of Derby from the Three Amigos around 15 years or so ago. And I think Adam Pearson is worth a mention, of course. He was a shareholder at one point, and even Andy Appleby and Tom Glick, uh, the latter, of course, uh, currently at Man City. I think they're all names that could be chucked into the frame of qualifying for that statement by by uh, by Ryan Conway and Matt Slater, although we have zero information to suggest they are at all interested. Just briefly, Tom, if... And again, big if there was the possibility of a, a more locally led uh, rescue of Derby County, even if it meant having the, you know, even if it meant not getting the huge firepower that would come for, from a potential foreign investor, would, would, would you take that situation to the return to a, someone like a Peter Gadsby or just another type, you know, another Mel Morris type who's a, a more locally made businessman? I think it's really important that football clubs are run properly. And I think that Derby over the last few years under Mel sometimes haven't. We've, we've overspent and um, that's maybe why we find ourselves in that position. So, so yeah, I have absolutely no problem with who the owners are as long as they um, uh, they can support the club and they keep the club on a stable footing. Uh, they provide the football at a reasonable price for the fans and, and we're able to go and see it when obviously when we can in the future. So, yeah, I, d I don't care who runs it. It could be Mickey Mouse for all I care, as long as it, it's run properly and effectively. So, yeah, I'm more than happy for local people to run it. Well, some people would say that we've, had, we've been a bit of a Mickey Mouse club the last few years, so uh, maybe it will be Mickey Mouse, but it would continue the theme. Um, but I think, Anton, what's interesting, an interesting debate maybe for another day, uh, is that, you know, where's the trade-off? Because in some ways, you actually, look, a lot of money does help a football club be successful of course it does but a lot of money only helps if the clubs run properly there's a structure in place there's good recruitment particularly there's uh, more solid long-term choices and decisions being made but there's also examples of clubs with lots of money doing things the wrong way and lots of clubs with not that much money doing things 
the right way. And I would suggest that if if, if Derby was run properly with a good recruitment strategy and long-term objectives which were stuck to and the right people appointed, and it's not easy, lots of clubs try and do it, but a club of Derby's size with the revenue it can create outside of a pandemic, it would have us competing in the top six of the championship on a, on a, on a fairly regular basis. Like That's what Nigel Clough and Steve McLaren are able to build on relatively small budgets uh, the first time around. How, where do you sit on that, Anton? Would you be... Would you be happier with with more local, uh, responsible, mediocre, consistent ownership, or or would you want to take the punt on on the big uh, big billionaire investor with with the risks that come with that? Being run properly is is the most important thing, really, um, because as you say, money is only one small part of of running a uh, running a business and and running a football club. So the most important thing that we can hope for is that Mel Morris does the relevant due diligence on on any prospective new owners so that any potential takeover doesn't lead to longer term financial issues even greater than what we've got at the moment i mean it's it's fairly clear that we do need some form of takeover um to to stop the the threat of administration which would mean almost certain relegation to to help paying the players as you mentioned Kutch, and and also to try and, and get something from from the transfer window, which which probably looks unlikely now, given that it's only um, a week or two away from the end of the transfer window. We, we definitely need something in place, but I wouldn't want just anyone um, coming in and, and then ending up in a situation like, like a Bolton or, or a Wigan, because um, as bad as it is at the moment from a financial position, um, it could easily get worse. So hopefully Mel Morris um, is aware of that and he doesn't just uh, pick any old person to come in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's move on a little bit from the, from the takeover uncertainty. And although not completely confirmed, it does appear Dutch Mike, uh, lovingly named Dutch Mike uh, just probably about 12 months ago, <coughs> excuse me, uh, but but hasn't really uh, made any kind of positive impact uh, through no fault of his own. To be honest, he seems like a nice chap. Uh, he's on his way back to the Netherlands, uh, joining a long list, I think, Tom, of, of foreign centre-backs that fail at Derby. I'd say the last relatively successful foreign import centre-back was maybe Mo Konjic, Tom, or, but maybe not even Big Mo. What do you reckon? How far do we have to go back for the last decent foreign centre-back at Derby? I did love Mo Konjic, but I'd argue that I think we bought him from Coventry City, so he was already like quite integrated mm-hmm. into uh, yeah. in, into the British football. Um, just off the top of my head, Kutch, I can't, can't actually think of anybody uh, until I get back to Igor Stimac. So. Carbonari? Taribo West. I mean, Taribo West was an was a interesting signing, wasn't he? But that's, probably, that's, that's how far we're looking now, isn't it? 20 years. <laughs> And we're all reading Pride at the moment, so we've all got a lot of uh, more recent... Well, I, as you know, I need my memory jogged a lot, so it's been quite helpful for me. I've kind of reimagined all of these all of these instances and players that I've completely been drunk out of my brain for the last 20 years. But um, Dwayne Holmes as well, he looks like uh, looks like he's going to be sold to Huddersfield, it's reported. A, a mooted fee of around £1 million would actually turn a profit on his signing. But... Anton, would he be a big miss to uh, to a squad which is already missing depth? And did we ever really see the best of him uh, you know, in terms of playing him in the right position? Would you be sad to see him go? I I would be sad to see him go because he has probably been one of my favourite players over the last two years or so. And and certainly last season, probably first half of last season, there were, there were definite talks of him being player of the season. And it was only the injury that really struck him down. And he's just not really recovered fully from that and and got back to his best which we saw in the early parts of last season the point around squad depth is is a really good one because he'd be a a a very good replacement for Jason Knight if anything happens to him or he needs a rest um but financially I, I think we just need some form of money coming in especially if we we are able to to spend some of that money in other areas Holmes is a he's got so much potential um which is why I'll I'd be sad to see him go and he's got qualities that are quite difficult to teach in terms of the the energy and, and ball progression that he can provide um sadly he's just not really produced anywhere near to his best over the last year or so and and, and Jason Knight clearly is 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 dominating him in terms of that position in in the first team at the moment so you're only keeping him as backup um so if we do need the funds the, the potential that he's got, um, he's a good option to to ship out, unfortunately. Do we know what Dwayne Holmes' best position is? Is it on the wide right? 
probably not because he's not a great crosser of the ball and he doesn't have have that sort of ability to necessarily get past the man and put the ball in like you need to. Is it in the centre of the park? Again, probably not because does he thread uh, a through ball or have a final pass, which is a killer ball that you need to have in that central midfield spot. So, so yeah, I think he is he is certainly a backup player at the moment. Uh, he had a fantastic half of the season last year. Um, I really like him as well, similar to you, Anton. I, I think there's, there's a great energy and buzz about him. Um, but if we need the money to bring in a couple of loan signings or a couple of uh, other signings that would help improve the first team in places that we really need, then I think he he's one that's unfortunately going to have to be sold. And I wish him all the best if if it does end up that he ends up going to Huddersfield for around a million pound. Yeah, I think I think you're right in terms of the funding might be useful in other areas where we we are, we are quite. I don't know if blessed is the right word because we're third bottom of the league, but we are, we do have decent options in in central midfield. So it is probably one area where we can afford to let let someone go. Um, although of, of course he has got talent, but for me he's. There's been more games, particularly in the last year, there have been more games where he's been pretty crap uh, in terms of giving the ball away too often, making poor decisions on the ball, poor finishing in the box, than there were games where he really had an impact. But when he did have an impact, you could see there's a real player there who can be very effective in this division. So, you know, good good luck to him. Seems like a really nice chap and you know, wishing the best if it is at Huddersfield. Now, Tom, uh, the big one, Richard Keogh, Keezy, the big man, heading back to the championship, apparently according to reports. Now, never say never in football, but presumably presumably he's not heading back to Pride Park. Where do you think he might end up? He's, he's previously had spells at Bristol City and he had a couple of uh, seasons. I think he was captain at Coventry City before we signed him. From, from what you've seen, Tom, I know you do keep an eye on lower leagues, could he still do a job in the Championship, bearing in mind his, his form for MK Dons the last few months? Yeah, I think so. He's um he's been an important part of that MK Don's defence and um I remember in fact watched him in the FA Cup third round. I thought he was excellent against Burnley and Premier League side and put that real sort of classic Keo performance in, chucking himself in front of a uh, in front of shots and blocking them away. Um he did get himself sent off for a ridiculous handball which then got overturned by VAR because it wasn't it wasn't handball, it was really unfortunate. So yeah, I think uh, I think he could and I think um you sort of answered it already, Coach. I think Coventry City would be the uh, championship club in the question if we got a takeover this week and then uh, Mel Morris was no longer at the club, perhaps. Um, there's clearly been a breakdown of relationship, I would, I'm guessing, uh, in the fact that he was sacked, uh, having been so close to Mel. So I don't think he'd come back to Derby uh, at this time. But but yeah, who knows? And I think uh, I think Coventry City, and I think, yes, it's a good opportunity for him if, if that's where he ends up going to. Well, I don't want to go too far down the Richard Keogh return to Derby rabbit hole because, as I said, I think it is grossly unlikely. As you say, he was very close to Mel by all accounts, uh, obviously prior to the sacking. Uh, obviously, Steve McLaren knows him very well. Um, so there is that connection. I- I'm not saying it's going to happen at all. But, Anton, if we had the funds available and the deal was right, would he take him back? <laughs> I mean, for, from a purely footballing perspective, probably, because I, I, I think we're, we're certainly short at centre-back. Wisdom and, and Clark have been doing a great job, Clark in particular. Um, but if either of those were to get injured, we're, we're struggling, <laughs> to be honest. So from a, from a footballing perspective, I, I think he'd he'd improve certainly the, the squad depth, but probably the, the first team as well, because he, he'd fit in quite nicely to the style of play. Um, I, I think there's the danger of just going back to, to, to what we had last year and opening up. Um, many of the wounds that we, we've kind of tried to heal over the last year or so, I, I definitely can't see it happening just due to the the relationship that um, kind of ensued after the the um, crash incident last year. So I, I don't think it's I don't think it's even on the table. Tom, very very quick snap two word answer: Richard Keogh or Phil Jones? None of them. That's three. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, Phil Jones. There you go. Okay, there you go. Well, that's a nonsense. That's a nonsense. Not quite finished yet, but uh, the nonsense is almost over. But we do have time for some more uh, nonsense trivia from Tom Martin to sign us off with as ever. Tom, what have you got in store for us? Oh, we've gone back to the old school. We're going back to who am I? Are there, are there any left? Uh, yeah, there are quite a few. I've, I've researched and I think Derby have had 6,725 players. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I've got a good one, I think, uh, for you. In fact, I'm going to have to give credit to my uh, my girlfriend for this one. She came up with it. So I was going to get her on the pod and tell her to, to answer the questions, but she's, uh, she chickened out of that one. So clue number one, nice and broad. I was born in 1985. Catch. Richard Keogh. 
<laughs> it's good, but it's not the one. Yeah, right age. Um, I will go Miles Addison. Uh, incorrect. Clue number two. I was managed by Steve McLaren. Anton, John Stead. John Stead. No, that's incorrect. All right, I have my guess now. Go uh, Gareth Roberts. Also incorrect, Hutch. Um, it, during my time at Derby County, I scored six goals. I think he's a bit older than this, actually, but John Eustace. It's a good guess, but it's not quite the right one. Clue number four. I've had two spells at my boyhood club. Clutch. Jake Buxton. It's good. He's just been sacked by Burton. It's not right, though. Next clue. I have close family at one of my former clubs. And by close family, I mean very close family. He's obviously got brother at one of his... (laughs) No, No. Next clue. I was the youngest player to represent my country. Catch. Simon Dawkins. Good guess. Not right. <sighs> Who's Simon Dawkins' brother? <laughs> Here you go. Derby County were the last club that I played for. So he retired at Derby. They must have gone somewhere else in between. He found the McLaren. He scored six goals. He retired at Derby by the sounds of it. The boyhood club is Everton. That does not help. <laughs> Catch. Wayne Rooney. Yes, Wayne Rooney. Oh, was it? So I was, I was thinking of Rooney when you said about the brother, because I was thinking about, is it John Rooney who's playing? I thought John Rooney does play uh, professional football. I think he's at Stockport. Um, but yeah. actually, Kai Rooney, Wayne Rooney's son, signed for Man United in November or December. You might have seen yeah, that. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah, well done, Todd. Well done, Ali. Yeah, very good. Yeah, well, that is another win for me. I don't know if I deserve a win, but... Uh, it a draw. <laughs> no, no, I did get it. I, did, I definitely beat you. Um, well, that's all. Yeah, thanks that, Tom. Uh, very much appreciated. That is all from Steve Bloomer's Washing this time out. If you made it to the end, then we do appreciate you. And please do remember to chuck us a like or follow on all the usual social media channels. And make sure you are subscribed on your podcast app of choice as well. But for now, Tom, thank you very much. All the best. And Anton, be seeing you again soon, I hope. Yeah, fairly low bar with the quiz, but um, pleasure as always. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.